0: All right, all right, all right, all right. Let's go ahead and find our spots. If you could um, turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter twenty-two. It is good to see you. If you're guests with us, we are glad that you are here. Um, so we're doing this volume of the books series, and I knew this chapter was coming, and uh, I'm I'm just a little excited. I love this chapter. I, I reference it a lot. I love to teach this chapter. I don't know if I've ever truly had the opportunity to fully preach it. Well, how do I know that? Because I tried to find all my old notes, and they didn't exist. So, so it's all fresh, baby, that I'm really, really excited about it. So Genesis chapter 22. But as, uh, as you turn there, I do want to say a massive, huge thank you to Matt Roach. Matt, is he in here or did he bounce? Hey, there he is. Wave your hand, Matt. Give him a round of applause. Matt is a dear, dear friend, dear brother of mine. And I love him. And he sacrificed business. He sacrificed job, uh, time, all of that to come up here and build these handrails. Now, we had, those, we had a bunch of people who came and helped um, with that as well. So we're grateful for everybody that came and sacrificed, but man... Matt, thank you. They look phenomenal. I've had nothing but um, comments about them. Um, those of you who are worried about the metal, yes, we know. It's got to get painted. We, 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 we'll, we'll head that way. Um, I'm putting Chris Chit, Ted in charge of that. Whether he knows that or not, he's in charge of it. So we, need to, we definitely need to get those, those covered. But, man, thank you again. It means a lot um, I just, I kept popping out. I was trying to get some stuff done, and I kept popping out just because I wanted to see the progress, and I wanted to see all the work, and man, it just, it was just a long day coming. I was telling Ron yesterday, I said, you know, the, the handrails were a thing that was in my mind to accomplish long in the future when we finally got there. I mean, it, it happened yesterday, and, and I'm, I'm grateful for that. And we have, now we have a sink in the kitchen area. Praise mm-hmm. Jesus. Woo, we've been waiting for that day for a couple years. So we have running water in the kitchen. We also have a stove oven thing working. So praise the Lord for that. Now, that being said, let me talk to the parents just for a moment. It is a commercial oven. Because it's a commercial oven, we have um, pilot lights going in there. So to touch the top of the stove, it is hot. Not like burning, burning hot but it's hot. So let's keep our kids out of there. Can we just make a mind to just keep our kids out of the food prep? That's what we call it. We don't call it kitchen. We call it food prep for code reasons. So with the food prep, let's stay out of there uh, with, with our munchkins. And if you need to use the oven, come see me. There's a little trick we need to talk, talk about. All right. So y'all ready? That was the end of the business meeting. Genesis chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22, we are um, we're walking through the volume of the book, and the sermon title, as you see, is You Are the Picture. So if you remember last week, we talked about how you, you have to step back and see the big picture and understand where it is that you fit in in it, and we, we tend to look in through a microscope to try to see God's big picture. And so we spent some time looking at seven chapters. Last week and just getting the big picture and finding our place in it and learning from Abraham's life And today we're actually going to do a little bit of a deep dive into this chapter Um, This is an amazing chapter in your Bible uh, Genesis 22, if you've never read it, uh, I pray that you're familiar with it by the end Um, If you've just read it and you're familiar with the story of Abraham Taking his son to the mountain and getting ready to slay his son as a burnt sacrifice And God staying him and maybe you're familiar with the story that's where we're gonna be um, this, this morning. And uh, man, we're just gonna look at the life of Abraham here and, and the story, and we're gonna get a general picture, just a general picture of what it looks like when someone goes through one of the greatest trials of their life. And I think we can glean from that. Uh, but we're also gonna see a beautiful picture that's the, of the story that paints Christ's sacrifice on the cross. Man, it's a beautiful, beautiful picture laid out here in, in chapter 22. But then we are also see that our lives are also a living picture of what it looks like to follow Christ, and so that's kind of the deal. If you have study sheets, you'll realize, wow, there's not as much on here as normal. There's only three blanks, but I got a, like a thousand verses, and we're going to be walking through them. That was a hyperbole, by the way, not a thousand. There's just a lot, so we're going to look at a bunch of verses. But I'm just going to put them up on the screen, and I'm just encourage you to write these things down. Um, man, let's pray. Y'all ready? I'm just like giddy. I'm so excited. I just love this passage. All right, so Father Lord, I pray that you would speak uh, today, Lord, of any flesh that I would have that would get, hinder this and just, Lord, my excitement to preach this passage. Lord, I, I pray that you would speak, Lord, Lord, that we don't need to hear from my notes. Lord, we don't need to hear from me. We need to hear from you, Lord. May it be your word that is preached and proclaimed, we give you the praise, the honor, amen, amen. All right, so. How many of you are familiar with this story? Just kind of familiar with the story, all right? So there's some hands going, hey, uh, not, not so much. Okay, well, that's fine. We're going to walk through the story. We're only going to get to verse 14 today. So verses one, we did seven chapters last week and 14 verses this week, and that's all right. Um, so we're just going to walk through the story a little bit at a time. I'm going to make some comments and then we'll make some application. But all right, so here's the first thing I want you to get though on your notes is this story provides a historical documentary of a real test of faith. It's a historical docu- documentary of your real test of faith, and so you'll notice on your sheet I've got a break broken down: historical, prophetical, and practical. Those are the three applications of Scripture: historical, doctrinal, and 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 uh, practical or inspirational, however you want to do it. All right. So Genesis chapter 22, verse 1, and it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham. And said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here I am. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains which I will tell thee of. And so, what you see here is that God tells Abraham to offer his son up as a burnt offering in the land of Moriah. Now, how would you feel if everything has gone well, right? I mean, if you remember last week, Ishmael's been gone. He's, out, he's off the scene. A- Abraham's 100 years old. His wife is, is now in her 90s, and they just had a, they had a son. And a few years later, you get to chapter 22, and God says, okay, after these things, hey, Abraham, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take your son Isaac, and I want you to go up to one of the mountains in the land of Moriah, and I want you to sacrifice your only son. How would you handle that information? Not very well, would you? You wouldn't handle it very well. I wouldn't handle it very well. But I want you to see something here. In verse one, he calls him his only son, thine only son. Why does he say that? Or he says that in verse two. Why does he say that? Isaac is only son, because if you, if you know, he's not the only son. What about Ishmael? Wasn't Ishmael the firstborn? Then now you have Isaac. and God calls him his only son. Remember this. Ishmael was a child of the flesh. He was not a child of promise. Ishmael should never have been there, should never have happened. So Ishmael is disqualified. If you re, so let me remind you of Genesis chapter 21, verse 12. Genesis chapter 21, verse 12, it says, And God said unto Abraham, Let it not be grievous in thy sight because of the lad, and because of thy bondwoman. in all this, Sarah has said unto thee, hearken unto her voice, for in Isaac shall thy seed be called. Now hold on to that verse. Remember that verse, because Abraham is clinging to that promise. Now, God's given him tons of promises. He's given them a whole lot of different things to hold on to, co- covenants and all types of things. But he, Abraham clings to that statement that, G, that God made. In Isaac shall thy seed be called. Now, hold on to that. Now, notice this. He says in verse two, to the land of Moriah. This is the very first time you find the word Moriah in your Bible. In fact, it only shows up twice the second time is found in 2 Chronicles chapter 3 and verse 1. So let me take you there. 2 Chronicles chapter 3, verse 1. It says, then Solomon began to build the house of the Lord at Jerusalem in Mount Moriah. What is Mount Moriah? It's the Temple Mount. That's Mount Moriah. It's the Temple Mount. It's where the, the temple was built, where, where the Lord appeared unto David his father. All right, so the, temp, the future temple is built in the land of Moriah, but not just in the land of Moriah, on Mount Moriah. Now pay attention to the words, the words matter, amen? Words matter. So notice verse two, he says to, uh, to the land of Moriah. It doesn't say to Mount Moriah, it says to the land of Moriah. So this is the land surrounding where Jerusalem is located. All right, so then you get to verses three and four. In verse three and four it says, and Abraham rose up early in the morning and saddled his ass and took two of his young men with him and Isaac, his son, enclaved the wood for the burnt offering and rose up and went into the place of which God had told him. Now, think about this just for a moment. Abraham gets up after God tells him to go sacrifice his son. The very next day, he gets up in the morning, grabs two servants, grabs his son, cleaves wood, saddles the ass and says, okay, let's go for a three-day journey. So they go for a three-day journey, verse four. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place far off. And so he makes his three-day journey with his servants, with his son. And then you get to verse five. In verse five, it says, and Abraham said unto his young men, abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder. And what's the next word? Worship. Very first time you find the word worship in your Bible. Let me take you back to verse two for a moment. That's the very first time you find the reference of love. It says lovest. You see that in verse 2? So this is a chapter where the very first time love shows up, the very fi- first time worship shows up, it has to deal with sacrifice. Remember the rule of Bible study is, pay attention to the first mention of a word that usually lays out the context, how it's going to be used through the rest of the Scripture. So you have worship and love, they're always going to be tied to sacrifice throughout the rest of your Bible. Worship and love are always tied to sacrifice. And so he says, hey, you guys stay here with this donkey. Me and my boy, we're going to go over here and we're going to worship. What does that mean? I'm going to sacrifice my son as a burnt offering. But notice the end of the verse. Check this out. The end of the verse. He says, we're going to go and worship and come again to you. He says, i and the lad. We're going to go and worship. And then he says, and we're both coming back. Now pay attention because not nobody knows what else is going on. Only Abraham knows that Isaac's getting ready right to the sacrifice. Isaac figures it out really quick. He figures it out really quick. But Abraham's the only one who knows for three days. Really four days, but three days. He's the only one who knows. The two servants, all they know is, hey, we're going to go worship in this land of Moriah. We're going to go do this thing. Okay. Hey, hey, stay here. We're going to go up and we're we'll worship and we're going to come back. Well, how's that work? How is it possible for them both to go and both to return? It's a huge statement of faith that he makes here. So let me take you Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 17 through 19. It says, by faith, Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac, and he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son. What promise was he clinging to? In Isaac shall thy seed be called God told him, in Isaac shall thy seed be called. And he believed it so much that he knew this, that if he went and he sacrificed his son, he knew that God would have to raise him from the dead. A lot of times people go, well, I just don't know that I could offer my son. I don't know that I could do this. You need to understand the faith that he had. If God was telling him to sacrifice his son, that meant that God was gonna have to resurrect him because of what he told him in chapter 21. He knew it. All right, so verse 18, it says, of whom it was said that in Isaac shall thy seat be called. He's holding on to that. It says, accounting that God was able to raise him up. Man, what a man of faith. So he says, hey, you guys stay here. We're going to go and worship. We're both going to come back. We, we're, we're, we're coming back. So he puts feet to his faith. You see this in verse six. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac, his son. He says, hey, son, I'm old, I'm in my hundreds, um, why don't you carry the wood? So he puts it on his son and they, and they go and he took the fire in his hand and a knife and they went, both of them together. And Isaac spake into Abraham, his father, and said, um, hey, dad, he says, hey, my, my father. And he could just almost see like Abraham, you know. His son's got the wood, he's got a knife and he's got the fire. And you know, this has to be a silent trick. Because Abraham knows, man, I got I to gotta sacrifice my boy. And I'm trusting he's going to resurrect from the dead, but I, I got to go through this. And so you just imagine it being quiet. And Isaac says, my father, and you can almost see him just go, here we go. <laughs> here, here am I. I I'm, I'm, I'm right here. And he says in the middle of verse 7, and he said, behold, the fire in the wood. But where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Now that question doesn't get answered until we get all the way to John chapter one. We'll come to that here in just a moment. Where's the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham says this amazing statement. My son, verse eight, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went both of them together. You see that the second time, you see that? They went both of them together. They're in agreement so Isaac does the math, and he's not fully able to solve for X. And dad, dad steps in and says, well, okay, let me provide the rest of the equation here. Um, we're just going to trust that there's going to be a lamb. We're just going to trust that there's going to be a provision for that. And if that means he has to die and resurrect, then so be it. If it means that God provides another way, then, then so be it. But then Isaac realizes that he is the sacrifice. He, does, he puts it all together. Oh." I, I'm the sacrifice. Yeah, yeah, you were the sacrifice. And then Abram, Abraham continues in the process of complete obedience. I just want you to notice that. God tells him, God tells him to be obedient. I want you to go sacrifice. And every step he takes, early in the morning, he doesn't tarry. He saddles the ass, he cleaves the wood, he gets his son, he gets the servants, he gets his son, and they all travel. Everything he's doing is is constant state process of complete obedience. Now we're getting closer and closer to the moment. All right, verse nine. Verse nine says, and they came to the place which God had told him of, and Abraham built an altar there. So now he's got to build an altar. He lays the wood in order. And it says, he bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. No sign of struggle. Isaac allows his father to bind him. Isaac allows his father to lay him down on this wood. In Verse 10, and Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. He would have gone up and he would have slit his son's throat. And as he takes the knife, you get to verse 11, and the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. Listen, when, when God says your name twice, you best listen. Abraham, Abraham. And you can almost hear, you almost like, here am I. <laughs> yes, I've been waiting for you to speak. Please, would you please speak? I'm walking in obedience to the last thing you told me to do. I'm doing it. And then God speaks. And he says, here am I, verse 12. And he said, lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him, for now I know that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son from me. He stops him. And so Abraham lifts up his eyes and looked and behold behind him a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered, up, offered him up for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. Whew. Wow. Praise the Lord. So God stops Abraham from sacrificing Isaac. And Abraham demonstrates, this is what I want you to get, pay attention to this. Abraham demonstrates a willingness to sacrifice his own son, knowing it was going to cost him dearly. He was willing to do it. But God provides a ram to sacrifice instead. Then he gets to verse 14. And Abraham called the name of that place, Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Jireh, technically, which is, by the way, the only time this word shows up in your entire Bible, is right here, Jehovah Jireh. A lot of people will say, well, that means the Lord is my provider, and that is true. That is true. But I I think the definition is a little bit deeper than that. Because it literally means the Lord sees me and provides for me. That's literally what it means. The Lord sees me and provides for me. But it's it's also even deeper than that. It literally means the Lord will provide, just watch. That's what Jehovah Jireh means. The Lord will provide, just watch. Oh, there's a a lot going on in verse 14. But Abraham names the mountain Jehovah Jireh. He says, now let's just watch how God's going to provide. The Lord will provide, just watch. Alright, so now on your notes, the second thing I want you to see here is that the story provides a prophetic picture of Christ on the cross. That's a prophetic picture of Christ on the cross. Notice the picture. We have some awesome ladies on the listen, we got pictures. I, I had to pick and choose which pictures to put in there and who would shank me later and who would who would thank me for not putting them up there. Alright, so I just want you to get the idea that this story provides a prophetic picture of Christ on the cross. Now, this is where I'm going to ask you to take a lot of notes. Run these references down because we're going to hit them quickly. And if you just want to be blessed, go back this week and read over these things and you'll see if you could take the life of, you could take Christ on the cross and this story and lay them over each other. It's almost mirror image because it's a beautiful picture for us. And the question I want you to consider here is Does Abraham understand as he's going through this? Does he fully understand that as he's going through this, that he is his life, his story, his trial is painting a beautiful picture prophetically of Christ on the cross? I don't know that he understands it. Maybe he does, maybe he doesn't. But all right, so maybe just off to the side, you might want to write a couple things. Abraham pictures God the Father. Abraham is a picture of God the Father, which makes Isaac a picture of Jesus Christ, right? So Isaac's a picture of Christ. The two young men, the two servants, a lot of people would say, well, they represent the thieves on the cross. The only problem is they're not on the mountain. So I think it could be maybe the thieves on the cross, but it could also represent the Jews. I don't know. But then you also have the ram the ram is a picture of the substitute the sacrificial substitute and then later on if you were to read the rest of the chapter you'd find a woman named rebecca Isaac's future wife and she represents the church now we're going to address her next week all right so that's kind of how this lays out Abraham Isaac the two young men the ram and rebecca now Go back to verses one and three, one through three. Now, just for sake of time, we're not going to read every single verse again. You got it, right? So verses one to three, you find that God the Father is going to offer up his son as a sacrifice because that is, he's the lamb slain from the foundation of the world, right? This is how it has to be. So God the Father is going to offer up his son as a sacrifice. So he hears the news, He sleeps all night, whether he slept or not, I don't know. But this says the next day he gets up. And they make a three-day journey to get there. And in verses 4 and 5, you find that they show up to this place, this location of the sacrifice, and he sees it afar off. He sees it afar off. Now, something I want you to make note of, and I don't have it up on the screen, is you might write down Mark 15, verses 40 and 41. And Luke 23 verse 49. that's Mark 15 verses 40 and 41, and Luke 23 verse 49, because when Jesus is on the cross, it says that they stood afar off and saw Him and watched him. So there's an idea that this is an elevated place that they're able to see from a great distance. And so he shows up from afar off. He stands with his two servants afar off, and they see they see the place. Mark 15, verse 41, 40 and 41, Luke 23. Verse 49, now, let me just say this. I do not believe that this is Mount Moriah. It's not Mount Moriah. I don't know how it could be Mount Moriah because Mount Moriah is where the temple is built. Was Jesus sacrificed inside the city? Was he sacrificed inside the temple? No, the Bible says he was sacrificed outside of the camp. I believe that he's in the exact same spot as Calvary or Golgotha. That's what I believe. Now, Luke chapter 23, verse 33, it says, and when they were come to the place, interesting phrase, same thing. And went unto the place in verse three. And in verse four says, and they saw the place afar off. All right, so Luke chapter 23, verse 33, it says, and when they were come to the place, which is called, Calvary. It's also called Golgotha, by the way. There they crucified him and the malefactors, one on the right hand and the other on the left. I believe that Isaac is offered in the very same spot that Jesus Christ hangs on the cross. I can't prove that. I cannot prove that. But that's what I believe. Now, something else to think about here. According to 2 Corinthians, or 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Christ is our Passover. So Christ is our Passover. And the Passover lamb, check this out. This is really cool. The Passover lamb had to be observed for four days. What day does he show up to be sacrificed? It's on the fourth day. Now, it's a three-day journey. We got the news on the first day, right? So day one is day one. Three days journey, three plus one is four. All right, so Exodus chapter 12. Exodus chapter 12, verse three says, speaking unto all the congregation of Israel saying, in the 10th day of the month, they shall take to them every man a lamb according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for an house. Skip down to verse six, chapter 12, verse six. And he shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. So four days are to observe the lamb. Four days of observing Isaac as a type of, of the Lamb. Jesus walked into triumphantly into Jerusalem, presented himself as King of kings, Lord of lords. On the fourth day, he was crucified. Four days later. Amen. The the prophecy goes even more and more and more, right? On the 4,000th year of human history, Jesus is crucified, right? As a day with the Lord, a a thousand years, a thousand years is one day. The the type just keeps, keeps going and going and going. So the Passover lamb is watched for the fourth day, but he's also resurrected on the third day, isn't he? Isaac is nothing more than a dead man walking. On his way up, he's a dead man walking, but he's resurrected on the third day. Check that in Luke chapter 24, verse 46. Luke chapter 24, verse 20, 46, it says, and said unto them, thus it is written, and thus it behoove Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. So it was the third day of the journey. The third day. He is, he's a walking dead man, but he's also a resurrected man. Man, I just love how the picture just keeps going and going and going. All right, so verses 6 and 7. Abraham takes the wood. He puts it on his son Isaac, and Isaac carries the, carries the wood up just like Christ did. John 19, verse 17. John 19, verse 17. And he, bearing his cross, went forth into a place called the place of a skull. That's which is called in the Hebrew, Golgotha. Golgotha, Calvary, same place. I believe it's the same place that Isaac and Abraham are at right here. That's just how God does things. And then you get to verse eight. Remember in verse seven, hey, uh, we got the wood and we got the fire, but where's the lamb? Notice this, verse eight. And Abraham said, my son, God will provide himself a lamb. Interesting way to say things. It doesn't say provide for himself a lamb. It doesn't say provide as a lamb. It says provide himself a lamb. No, whether Abraham knew this or not, he was speaking prophecy because he's letting you know that God is going to be the one who becomes the lamb. Remember in John chapter one and verse 29, the next day, John seeth Jesus coming unto him and said, behold, the lamb of God. Behold the Lamb of God. Oh, what the Lamb? Well, he's the Lamb which taketh away the sin of the world. That's the Jesus I serve. He is the Lamb of God. Hey, where's the Lamb? That doesn't, that question doesn't get answered until John chapter 1, verse 29. Behold the Lamb. He is the Lamb. And And I think this is interesting. This has to be prophetically pointed to Christ. Because Abraham says, God will provide himself a Lamb. But what does God provide Abraham? Does he give him a lamb? gives him a ram. Which is it? It's both. He provides the ram as a substitute for Isaac, but he provides Jesus Christ for as a substitute for you and me. It's the lamb of God. God provides himself a lamb. It's God with skin on. God has to be the lamb for us. Man, that doesn't get you going. I don't know what else. All right, so verse 9. And they came to the place which God had told him of. And Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood at order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. Just like Isaac was willing to lay down his life, so was Jesus. Jesus willingly laid down his life. Luke chapter 22, verse 42, saying, Father, if, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. He laid down his life. John chapter 10, verses 17 and 18. Therefore, doth my father love me because I lay down my life that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my father. No one, Isaac laid down his life willingly. Kill me, dad. Apparently God's gonna resurrect me. God, God stops him from having to do that. But the picture is still the same. Jesus Christ laid down his life because he knew he would raise it, raise it from the dead. Verses 10 to 13 now. So he's getting ready to sacrifice, and there is a ram caught in the thicket, and he goes and grabs the ram and he puts it on and, and he offers the ram instead. The same thing for you and I. There's no possible way. You could sacrifice enough, no way that you could clean yourself up enough to be right in God's eyes. Amen, truth? Isn't that truth? You can't be good enough to get to God. It's not possible. The whole Old Testament law laid that out for us. They had to sacrifice and sacrifice and sacrifice. Well, I thought they got clean when they sacrificed. All they did was get them clean then, but they're still going to get dirty later, right? Right? And they had to do another sacrifice and another sacrifice. That's why he says in John chapter 1, to verse 29, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin, not just covers it, but deals with it eternally. Takes away the sin. And I'm telling you what, if you're one of those people who says, you know, I I, I believe all that, but I don't know that I am saved. I don't know that that blood has been applied to me, that you need to get saved today. This Jesus Christ who lays down his life, he laid it down for you. He laid it down for me. And the Bible says he resurrected the third day. He took up his own life. He had power to take it again because he became your substitute. He didn't just do that so you could have a clean slate. No, he did it so that you could be clean before God because you can't work your way there. You can never be good enough. Man, that ought to be the best news to you. Can I be honest with you? That you're never going to be good enough to get to God. That ought to relieve you. Quit trying. He did the work. Amen. So Hebrews, Hebrews chapter nine, verses thirteen to fourteen. He says, "For the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of an heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctified the purifying of the flesh. How much more shall the blood of Christ?" How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? That Old Testament law was nothing more than a schoolmaster to the Jews and to all the world. You can't measure up to God's holiness. You can't keep all the law. Those sacrifices can't do it. That's why you have to do it over and over and over again. But man, he entered one time into the holy place. The blood was applied. The temple is, the veil of the temple is torn in two. We have bold access to God through the blood of the lamb. Well, how do we, how's that even possible? Well, let me just give you 1 John chapter 4, verse 10. 1 John chapter 4, verse 10, Here in his love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the, we use that word every day, propitiation. What'd you say? Excuse you, bless you. Propitiation. But what does that mean? to be the substitute to stand in the place thereof to be the one who provides redemption the justifier who stands between you and the lord that's jesus christ so the best news on the planet is this you those of you who do not know christ as your savior you are separated from god there's no way you can get to god on your own it's not possible be relieved quit trying Jesus Christ stood in your place, took your sin upon himself, willingly laid down his life and rose again the third day as your propitiation, as your substitute, and died the death that you deserve, took all the wrath of God upon himself and rose again the third day so that you can have newness of life. The Bible says, if you believe in your heart, confess to the mouth of the Lord Jesus, thou shalt be saved. For the heart of man man believeth unto righteousness, but the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Romans chapter 10, verse 13, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That can happen for you today. You can be saved today. But the only way for that to be happening is if he is your propitiation, that you're trusting in him. You're trusting in him to be the sacrifice, the one who rose from the dead. You can be saved today. Wow, it's awesome, isn't it? Verse 14, verse 14. And Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah-Jireh. In other words, remember, God will provide, just watch. God will provide, just watch. He did it through Christ. That's the provision. He did it through Christ. He already provided this through Jesus Christ. Are you willing to see it? Man, if you're not saved, you need to get saved today. All right, so let's land this quickly because here's the third point. Is that this story provides a practical pattern to trace for our daily living. So let's just make this super practical then because we can, we can trace it. Joe, you look good up there, man. You look good. All right, so there's a pattern to trace that we can learn from Abraham. And I'm just going to give you a whole lot of stuff, just a few verses, but not a lot. Your life, just like Abraham, your life is also a living picture of what it looks like to follow Christ. How's your picture going? How's that moving picture going? Because you are a living, walking, breathing billboard of what it looks like to follow Christ. Just like Abraham living his life is a type of Christ, is a picture of Christ, so are you. First Peter chapter 2, verse 12. Having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, the lost, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the days of visitation. In other words, people are watching. And they're paying attention and they're seeing the way you live your life. And that is a representation of what it means to follow Christ. How's your picture going? Is it worth tracing? Acts chapter four, verse 13. Man, I love this. Now, when they, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. When you enter a room, do people recognize do they see, and when you exit the room, they go, wow, she's been with Jesus. Or wow, he's been with the Lord. Is there a wake that follows you, that when people look at you and they see you, you go, wow, they're different. Why are you so different? Because they've been with Jesus. Same thing ought to be with us. The same thing ought to be with us. All right, so let me just draw some correlations here. In in verse one, remember God God spoke to him. So let me just just encourage you to make sure you are always in a position to hear from the Lord. Make sure you are always in a position to hear from God. Just like Abraham. Now, whether he wanted to hear what God had to say or not, it didn't matter. He was in a position to hear from God. But not only that, in verses one and two, Know that God is going to lead you to be tested. I got news for you. If you know that God has spoken to you, just like Abraham spoke, just like God spoke to Abraham in chapter 21, verse 12, in Isaac shall thy seat be called. And if you're going to cling to a passage of scripture, you're going to say, I know this is what God has said for me. And said to me that, And I got news for you. He's going to run you through a test of whether you really believe it or not. I'm telling you, that day's coming. I know this is what God wants for me, okay? Then he's going to test you to reveal whether you believe his word or not. Deuteronomy chapter eight, and verse three. And he humbled thee and suffered thee to hunger. Why? So that you might know that, that man did not live by bread only, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God, doth man live. He wants you to know something. He already knows it. God already knew Abraham was willing to sacrifice, but he needed Abraham to know that he was willing to sacrifice. Does that make sense? So you're gonna go through times of tra- testing, but so if that's true, then let me give you this: then you need to be willing to always choose immediate obedience. Immediate obedience. He got up the next day and he got after it. Make sure that you are available. Oh, let's let's make this let's make this true. Don't just be willing to have obedience, immediate obedience. Be available for it. Some of us, you might have heard, you know this is what God wants for your life. This is the direction God's leading you. And yet you are unable to do it because you have not made yourself available to move. You've got to be available to get after it. When God says go, you've got to go. When God says move, you've got to move. When God says do this, you've got to do it. And some of us, were hindered. We hold it, we've got baggage. Just, oh, we can't do it. And Abraham says, I'm going to get up and... Cleared off of a schedule. Didn't matter what was happening on the next day. All right, so in, in verses three to five, remember he takes his son and he takes these two, the, the two servants, all right? So if God is moving in your life, then you gotta be willing to invite others to join you as you walk in obedience. If you're truly walking with the Lord in obedience, then I'm just telling you, don't do that on your own. Invite others to come participate and be witness and and to join you in the journey, just like he did. And then he says in verse five, I and the lad are gonna go to worship and we're, we're gonna come back. That's what he said. So how do I apply that? Well, maybe consider this. You need to understand and know that what God tells you today will never contradict what he told you yesterday. It won't. It will not contradict what he told you yesterday. And i only tell you, I've been pastoring for a few years. And I've had different people come up and say, well, I know this is what God told me to do. Okay, you just pulled the God told me card. So when God told me card, that's between you and Jesus. That's between you and the Lord. But I think it's kind of funny. When they come back about two months later, well, this is what God's telling me. That's kind of opposite of what you just told me two months ago. Did God really say that or not? Isn't it interesting? God always tends to, to tell us what we want to hear. I think that's interesting. That's oh, what I really would want. And I think God's confirmed it. Okay. But know this, God will never contradict what he t- today what he told you yesterday. If it was true yesterday, it's still true today. Now, he may redirect. He may redirect just like you told Abraham, hey, don't, don't do it. But it's not contradicting. Now, if you remember, I made the, made the comment that, yeah, he chose immediate obedience. But what you find in verses 6 to 13 is that he chose consistent obedience. He continued to go the direction of the sacrifice every step he made, every decision he made was in the direction of complete and consistent obedience. Be consistent and complete in your obedience. All right. But then there comes the moment, right? There's that moment where you got to actually bind the son, right? You got to put them on the altar that you just built with the wood. And then there's a the moment where you actually have to have the knife to do this. Sli- I mean, there's that moment. I'm not telling you God's telling you to go home and Sacrifice your child. We're going to take you to jail, right? God didn't tell you that, right? But I'm telling you, you're going to have moments where you're going to have to choose obedience even when you know it's going to hurt. Because here's the deal. We can be consistent in our obedience. Yes, this is the direction that God wants me to go. Yes, I'm doing it. I'm making steps and I'm going in this direction. I've invited people to come along and to watch from a distance. But there's that moment where you actually have to do it. And are you willing to do it even though you know it's going to cost you? Even though you know it's going to hurt? Because those are the moments when you really find out whether you fear God or not. It's in that moment. Do you really fear God or not? Because we can get really obedient all the way up until the pain. But the moment the pain gets ready to come, that's usually when we balk. Man, I call that the moment of crisis. How do you know when you reach a moment of crisis? It was when you're tempted to quit. When you're tempted to walk, that's how you know you reached a moment of crisis. And here's what you need to get from this. God isn't interested in taking everything away from you. That's not his goal. It's not the goal. Here's what God's interested in. He wants us to be willing to count the cost and be willing to pay the cost. That's what he Are you willing to count the cost? And if you're willing to count the cost, are you willing to pay the cost? That's what he desires. Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10, verses 37 and 38. He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he that taketh not his cross See, you're also Isaac, you're also Abraham, you're both. Because there's a cross for you to bear. And followeth after me is not worthy of me. In other words, there's gonna be some relationships that are gonna have to go. Kenny Morgan puts it this way. To follow Christ means you're gonna have to give something up and someone up. I got news for you, that's the truth. It's gonna cost you someone and something. That's how you'll know whether you fear God or not. But my prayer is in verse 14. That whatever it is that God's calling you to, whatever God's doing in your life, you'll be able to name it Jehovah-Jireh. The Lord will provide. And I can't wait to watch him do it. Embrace a new, renewed vision of who God is and of what God does. Is he your Jehovah-Jireh? The Lord will provide, and I'm going to watch.